0: Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So we're now in the third Sunday in our Advent series, and we've been taking this four weeks of Advent to try to dig in in a little bit more depth in this passage of Scripture from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, this phrase of when the fullness of time had come and so the first we discussed what was meant by the fullness of time had had come and we described it as meaning that when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son is clear to us that God is a God who has a plan he has a purpose and he is powerful to work it out the fullness of time there was a there was a certain time there was a plan in order to have certain times you have to have a direction or a plan. God has a plan, but not only does He have a plan, God has the power to work His plan out. He sends His Son. And this Son, Jesus, is born of woman. It is, he is born under law. He is true humanity as a full representative under the law of God. Because we as men, we as mankind, needed one of us a man to make right the situation that man had made wrong. Man had, we, we talked through Romans chapter 5, the, the comparison between the first Adam and the second Adam or the last Adam. The first Adam standing in for all of humanity plunges all of humanity into sin. By man, the world was ruined. And we see at the fullness of time, God sends forth his son born of woman, born under the law, true man to right the wrong that that man had begun, when he needed a true representative. Jesus comes, and that that is what he does. He is the man born of woman, born under the law. And this week we get to the statement, of starting in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. So before we get Too far in, and I want to get really bogged down in the first word of verse 5. It's a real long English word. It's the word to. T O. All right, we're going to get. Spence, what does it mean, to? Yes, I'm taking the advantage where you may not know this, but when we're going through Luke, Darren is flying third person I'm flying through the gospel of Luke to try to get somewhere in it this is a great speed to go with a text all right four weeks and a couple of verses here so yes we're going to talk about this word to when the fullness but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of woman born under the law Two, to, to. I want to get bogged down here. And what this is an incredible word. It is a word describing motion or purpose. The word to, to is, a, is is big money these days. You can make a lot of money in a consulting firm or whatever, just talking about this word to. Huge corporations spend lots of money trying to craft what we now call. Mission statements or vision statements or purpose statements. They write these statements out and they sound something like this. And they usually start with, We exist to fill in the blank. Or our mission is to fill in the blank. And that word to is the hinge of, Here we are, but what are we doing? And it's all hinges with this word to, T O. One of two is, just, is one of my favorite words. 14 years ago, I heard these words, and they sounded like this. It was, I, Darla, take you, Darren, to be my lawfully wedded husband, to have and to have and to hold as long as we both shall live. And I'm glad it didn't just end with, I, Darla, take you, Darren. Because that's just kind of like, I mean, that's how it feels sometimes, maybe, right? It's like, I, I Darla. <laughs> All right. I'll take it, you're mine. But the, it comes with a purpose statement, right? I, Darla, take you, Darren. To. There's there's purpose to it. To have and to hold, as both while uh, while both of long as we both shall live. That's how something like that. But the, there's there's a to that that's communicated there. The the statement of who you are and what you're going to do by communicating this purpose of to. I take you to. X, Y, and Z. And wouldn't it be great if we could, I mean, so we have these statements we make to each other, I promise to this, or I, when I get to wherever, I'm going to do this. When I turn the oven, why are you turning the oven on? Well, I'm, I'm going to bake, I'm going to cook you a meatloaf. I'm going to try to see how many times I can get meatloaf into a sermon. <laughs> uh, to, there's purpose to it. There's purpose to it with this word, to. Wouldn't it be nice, can you imagine what it would mean to be able to look into the eternal mind of God, this this transcendent being, this one who is other than us, incomprehensible in His eternality, incomprehensible in His holiness in his righteousness, in his justice, in his love, in his mercy, to this, ma- this one who set the whole world in motion, wouldn't it be incredible? If it isn't just hearing the, the two from another individual here on this earth, you kind of understand how minds work. Wouldn't it be incredible to peer into the mind of God and hear his two? Here's who I am, and this is what I'm doing and this is why. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I'm obviously building that up because look what we have in Galatians 4. This is one of these places where we have the two of God. Not just who he is, not just what he's doing, but why he's doing it. He has done this to do something in the fullness of time. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, two, two. we get to peer into the mind of God in this verse, what is he up to? And he tells us, but now to get stuck longer on the word to, he tells us, and he's going to tell us, but before we get to the why, what do you expect to come next? And you're, you all sitting in church and you've been here many times, so you kind of, you know, you understand, you, you know what's. You know what's coming. But, but honestly, if we could stop, try to, with all the, the powers of creativity and imagination you can muster, don't just jump to the redeem those under the law, but think, what, what is coming next? When the fullness of time had come, this transcendent, this holy, this righteous one, when the fullness of time had come, what's this God going to do? He's going to send his son, born of woman, born under the law, to what? What is he Going to do. The God of the universe, in his holiness, in his purity, his righteousness, is going to send his son at just the right time. But what would you say he's sending him to do? I want you to imagine with me for a moment a scenario in which maybe you built a, a rich farm operation you weren't you weren't right there you, they couldn't see you you weren't hands on with the operation but you built you set up this big farm operation you got it all going you put workers within it to take care of it you provide for the workers they're, they're well cared for they're there to tend the field the grapes whatever the fruit is they're there to tend this this farmland for you and they're they're well provided for taking care of it. Now imagine this farm that you have set up, you have created, you have empowered them to work it and to till it and provide it for the workers. Imagine that when the harvest time comes, you send messengers to pick up the harvest and, and get your return on, on what you've invested. This is this is what you have done this for. You send the workers but instead or the messengers, but instead of the workers. Giving the prophets to the messengers and saying, thank you for building this wonderful farm and giving us the opportunity to tend to it and to make profits here. Here is your rightful, oh, this is what you're due, here it is, we give it back to you. Instead of the workers doing that, what do the workers do? The workers kill your messengers or they beat them up, they stone them, they throw them away. We don't want nothing to do, get rid of this guy, we don't want to hear from you. They begin to disregard and beat and even kill your messengers. Well, what would be your response to workers like that? What would be your, your response to workers like that? And then maybe we could ask the question, what do you think God's response to workers like that would be? Well, you don't have to guess. Matthew chapter 21, got your Bible out there. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read a little parable here. This is Matthew chapter 21. If you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 982. This is the parable of the tenants. Jesus is telling a few parables here, and he's speaking with the religious leaders of the day. Here's the parable of the tenants. Jesus says this in Matthew 21, verse 33. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, this is now Jesus asking a question outside of the parable, verse 40. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? It's the question I ask. What would you do if you built this farm and provided for it and it well tended and sent messengers and they killed your messengers, what would you do? They said, They said to him, the Pharisees answered, He will put those wretches to a miserable death, and let out the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him the fruits and their seasons. That's a that's an answer. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, coming from Jesus, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Indeed, he was. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. What is God? The par, it's a parable about God. God has done this; He has set up this. The mess, he set up the world for people to tend, and they. He sent messengers, prophets, is as who as Jesus is talking about. He sends prophets all through the Old Testament, calling them to repentance. And what do they do? They kill them. They get rid of them. And then God sends His Son. Thinking, and and what do they do to the Son? We know the end of the story here. Of this gospel, they kill the son. What's God's response? What's Jesus bringing this up for? He's pushing on the Pharisees to see the dangerous place that they are in. The dangerous place that they are in. This stone, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. God will be able to put them back together. But when, when this stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. God's response to action against him like this is an action of justice. Justice, the justice of God, the wrongdoer will receive his just reward for the actions he's taken against his sovereign. This parable is Jesus' description of exactly what humanity has done. We've been given amazing things and have taken them and have rebelled against God and his messengers. We have rebelled against the one who gave them to us. This when we talk about when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to if, if we weren't so mired in our Christendom and, and our, what we have been uh, kind of culturally fed for so many years, what you would expect almost after this too is to get justice, to make it right. Sent forth his son To judge the world because the world was against God. And this generic idea that this generic God who's just love and mercy without justice is, is inconceivable throughout most of history. War is going on. Death is going on. Disease is going on. Injustice is rampant throughout history. And the desire for justice is so strong as image bearers of God That the idea that God wouldn't come down and if if God was just at all, if God was righteous at all, if God was good at all, when he shows up, how could he not respond in justice? But our culture has hijacked this Christian idea that God is loving and merciful, which is true but we have taken our culture has taken this idea of god being a just a, a loving and merciful god and has made them the sole attributes of who god is even some self proclaimed christians misunderstand who god is and when that happens you cannot comprehend what god has actually done if you take the holiness of god and you put it down here and you just lower it as low as you can then god shows up and it's just it's just hugs and You know, flowers and, you know, all this kind of fuzz, warm fuzzies. But when you see God for who He is, as the transcendent one, holy and righteous, the two, when God sends His Son, it it raises your heartbeat a little bit. What's going to happen? What is this God going to do? What is this God of justice? We deserve the judgment as sinners before this holy and righteous God. Not understanding God and His holiness and His righteousness, and not understanding humanity, not understanding us in our fallen condition, as Scripture tells us, it undercuts any possibility of understanding the message of the entire Bible, let alone the message of Christmas. We think that somehow Jesus has just, Jesus came down and what's He do? He takes the standard of holiness is way up here, and He just kind of lays it on the ground. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the image of this is what Jesus did. The standard is perfection of holiness all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus comes along, he kind of lays it on the ground. So basically, if you're just standing in the vicinity of the bar, you could, if you can pass over, you could die and fall over the bar and you're good to go, you pass the standard. And that's kind of what we think Jesus has done. But that is not what he's come to do. The the standard is still perfection. The standard is holiness. It is be holy as I am holy. The standard is perfect righteousness. Christ doesn't remove this standard. And any rebellion will be paid out in justice. Trying to create, oh boy, there, we're going to back, we haven't got enough time. We're going to finish this because we're going to paint ourselves in a corner here, aren't we? God's going to show up and he wants justice. And if I confess myself as a sinner before a holy and righteous God... It's getting a little hot under the collar, is it not? That God is going to show up, and what's going to happen? What's going to happen? This is what we would expect from a righteous sovereign coming down to meet his people. This is what we could expect. He's going to come with justice and do what is right in punishing the rebels. That's what we should read. That's what we should read in Galatians chapter 4. That's where God should go if we have any concept of justice whatsoever. But it isn't, is it? I, 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 I spent all that time pointing that out because I want you to read this with the eyes that are blown away at the two statement of verse 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem. To redeem. To redeem to make righteous, to reconcile, to bring back, to forgive all the things we could go into, this is what he sends the son to do. Not to do the judgment that we all deserve, to redeem those who are born under the law. God sends his son to redeem. If you look back in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This righteous one, deserving of no curse, God sends him. He comes to earth not to judge, not to pour out the curse, but to take the curse upon himself. To take the curse upon himself. Sends forth his son, born under the law, born of woman under the law, to redeem those who under are under the law. Instead of lowering the bar down. Christ comes and He fulfills perfect righteousness. He says the bar is perfect, perfect righteousness. And as a man born of woman under the law, He comes, He fulfills it. He completes all righteousness. And the brick wall that sits underneath this standard, this bar, is up here. Imagine under the bar, you can't sneak underneath it. Under the bar, it's a brick wall. And every time we try to jump it, we smash ourselves against the brick wall. And we smash ourselves against the brick wall. And that brick wall comes over and it buries us. We can't clear the standard. And you're never going to. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have, you're not making it over the standard. But Jesus comes. He shows up and he clears the standard without a stain or spot of sin. He clears the mark. And yet what do we see? The one who clears the standard. The one who fulfills all righteousness. The one who clears the standard takes the crushing of everyone else who hit the wall and fell, and hit the wall and fail, fell, and gets crushed. The one who clears the standard takes the crushing. The one who clears the standard takes the crushing so that those who are crushed in their failure could clear the standard through his perfect righteousness. The one who clears the standard takes the crushing so that all of us, all you sinners in here, Merry Christmas, so that all you sinners in here who are crushed through repentance and faith in this one work could clear the standard by faith in his righteousness. That's what Christ has come to do, to redeem. Our disobedience leaves us cursed. Cursed. Leaves us cursed, Galatians 3. Our disobedience leaves us cursed. Christ comes and his obedience leaves him righteous. Then in the mercy and love and grace of God, the righteous one, deserving no curse, the righteous one takes the curse upon himself so that we are who are rightfully cursed can be made righteous. The one who was righteous takes the curse of those who deserve to be cursed so that the ones who were cursed could be made righteous. This is the purpose statement coming from God in our passage this morning. The Son has come to redeem those under the law. Those who are killed by the law's demands for righteousness find their redemption in the one who has come and perfectly fulfilled All of the law's righteous demands. He fulfills the law's righteous demands. So that righteousness could be ours. This is exactly what God tells us. Romans chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 says this. For God has done what the law. Weakened by the flesh could not do. Namely save us. The law couldn't save us. Because weakened by the flesh. We couldn't fulfill the law. But God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is what God has done. This is why we look at the manger and rejoice. This is why we look at the cross and rejoice. We rejoice because when we look at the cradle and the cross, we remember that this was done to redeem sinners. To redeem sinners. We see the great love, which is our Advent theme for the morning. We see the great love ...of God for His own. read this in my commentary. It says, "...Christ not only became man bound to obedience... ...but He became curse for us. He made our doom His own. He took on Him not only the calling of a man... ...but our responsibility as sinful men. It is in this work... ...it is in this that His work as our Redeemer lies... For it is in this that the measure, or rather, the immensity of his love is seen. This great love can be yours to to, to redeem those born under the law. Who is he describing there? All of us sitting in this room this morning. This great love, this can be yours. This can be yours. If we confess... Confess yourself as one who is crushed by the law. Where are you at in this scenario of jumping over the standard of being crushed? You're the crushed one. We all are. We're the crushed ones. Confess yourself as one who was crushed by the law and put your faith and trust in the one, Jesus Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law and suffered the crushing that you deserved in your place. Can I just, if, do not delay on this front. Do not delay. Make a personal appeal to everyone. Do not delay on this front. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. You are not guaranteed this afternoon. Do not delay on this front. Confess, I deserve the crushing of the righteousness of God. I deserve His judgment. But hallelujah, at just the right time, God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law. He came down. He received my crushing on the cross so that through repentance and faith in that work, His righteous life, His resurrection, I could be forgiven of all of my sin and reconciled to Him, promised eternal life. Do not delay on this front. If you are here this morning and you are not sure if that reality is yours Do not delay. Cling to Christ. See Christ for who he is. See yourself for who you are. Be honest and cling to Christ. He lived, he died, and he resurrected out of the grave for your redemption. Repent and believe. And if you know yourself to be a believer in this message this morning, think, well, Darren, that's great for everybody else, but what about me? Are you resting there? Is that where you camp out at? Is that where your hope is? Where are you hoping? What are you relying on? What gives you comfort in the night season? And for those who are already Christ, I offer the same admonition to those who never have trusted him. Cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. God sent forth his son to redeem sinners. Where does this lead us? What then is our response? What kind of worship flows from us when we see Christ? This reality. This is what God has done: sent forth His Son, born of woman, under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. How do we respond to that? How do we respond, Darren? Okay, I I don't like the sin thing, but I kind of like what you're saying about the redeeming thing. Okay, tip of the hat. All right, sounds good. Let's go to lunch. How do you respond? How do we respond to this? What kind of worship should flow from this grand of a reality? How long can we, can we sit and ponder? Okay, I like, I'll take that. Is, what kind of worship should this evoke out of us when we see this reality? For some, that, that worship becomes muted. And I think this is one of the reasons why that worship becomes muted. For some, the worship is that God in doing this is just validating, validating um, my own self-worth that I kind of believe in anyway. See how valuable I am, look what God has done just to save me you know aren 't I the bee 's knees i mean, i 'm really what it's i 'm what it 's about. Look what He has done, and so we and and what the happens when we do that we see the good news as God has opened our eyes to our value. God has opened our eyes to our value, which really in our self obsessed world we never really don't believe in. I mean, we are, God is affirming my own self-value. But that motive takes the revealed truth of our complete sinfulness and turns it on its head. It turns it totally upside down. God has done all this work to save sinners because I'm really not that bad of a person. God really values me. And the worship becomes this self-revolving, self-centered mess of worship. It makes nonsense out of passages that say. Christ came to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15. And Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5.6. It fails to bring true worship. How do you respond? How are we responding this morning? True worship. I would argue in contrast to that. Idea of worship. True worship. Is not the opening of our eyes to see our worth. True worship. Is God opening our eyes that we would see His worth? Why, why, why would He do this? And I, think about what. What God sends His Son. What should I get? I don't know if, if you all want to be as honest as I am, and I can't be from the pulpit, I suppose. But good night. There are so many moments in my life I don't deserve. God to smile in my direction for a second. And what does he do? He sends his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem sinners like me, sinners like you. I don't, I don't know. How, and, not because, not, and this is all done. Not because boy, Darren's so special. Darren's not self-deluded. Darren's not so special. You know who's special? The God that would do such a thing. The God that would send his son to rescue people who don't deserve to be rescued. True worship then is not the self-affirmation of my own conceived self-worth. Worship is seeing myself accurately and then seeing God pursue and save and love and redeem anyway. Then worship happens that God would do this. God has revealed His immense value and being the God of both justice, dealing it out upon Himself, dealing the Son taking our punishment, taking the justice that is deserved, and yet a God of mercy, and taking the justice upon Himself, saves sinners, forgives sinners, reconciles sinners back to Himself. God in the fullness of time sends His Son, showing not our own worth, but showing His incredible value, His incredible worthiness because He did it for those who did not deserve it. He did it purely from His heart of grace and mercy. Who's incredible? God is. In the fullness of time, He sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to not judge, to redeem those who were under the law. Does this redemption move you? Does it move you to authentic worship? When was the last time you sat down, took a deep breath, and wondered at the declaration of God's love for sinners like you? Maybe instead of asking if this truth moves you, I could ask when did this last time this truth kept you? That when life went upside down and the carpet was pulled off from underneath you, you were settled in this great reality. God sent his son to redeem, not proving my value, but his immense value. Or when was the last time that you found sin presented to you? And because of the great truth of God's love for you, you ran to the greater reality of forgiveness from your father. When was the last time that sin presented itself to you and you were persuaded away from it because you knew of a greater reality than what it offered to you? I want us to, and we Advent anticipating Christmas. I want you to know this truth. I want us to know this truth. And I don't want us just to know it. I want you to know it. You feel it in your guts. This is what God has done. This is what the major is about. This is what the cross is about. This is what the second Advent is coming about when all of these things finally become fully realized. Feel this truth deep inside of who you are. This is the love of God and the greatness of God. He is the one who is truly worthy of all of our worship. Let's pray. Give us eyes, God. Give us eyes. This is a work that we cannot work up. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts as we come to communion and we see that at the table, It is not our worth put on display. It is the worth of the one whose body was broken, whose blood was shed for sinners, for us. May we see your great value, your great worth, and worship you for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.